0: Welcome to Global River Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org. I'm real excited. We've had just an amazing week. Um, About four or five weeks ago, I got a contact out of the blue from a a doctor. He's actually a veterinarian in Kings Mountain. And um, he said, we've heard about you guys and how you're, you're standing, and praying, and believing for revival. Uh, we heard from a lady who, her name's Ellen Day, opened up in the Moorhead City several years ago to open up the Eastern Gate. We went there. There were 300 Christians, all different churches, Native Americans, black, white, old, young. It was a wild place on the beach, shofars, silver, I was like, what is this, and Indian drums, and just praying and asking God to open up the Eastern Gate and come to North Carolina. And so, they talked about that and shared with each other, and they said, look, we believe that Kings Mountain and Wilmington are strategic locations for portals where God will come. Because of the history of both the ugliness in both of those cities, he, I got a, one of the councilmen came, named Keith Miller, came down. He's a, a city councilman in Kings Mountain, Mayor Pro Tem. He said, I got to come as well, came with this doctor, and I said, look, we can come and share information. But I'd rather get together with you with some of my intercessors. I think we had 30 intercessors on Thursday come, and we shared, and it was just amazing what God is up to. God is up to stuff. If you're awake and your eyes are open and you're not complacent, you're seeing, searching, you will find that God is moving. And this this next five months, I am as, like, excited about what's coming. I'll just give you a quick rundown. First of all, the Lord told me it's not a natural coincidence that the kingdom men are going fishing, Ah! and that the kingdom women are going to meet the same nights now coming together on Monday nights, kingdom men, kingdom women coming together every Monday night from 7 to 8.30, asking the Lord to come and transform. That's just a tidbit of what's going to happen starting tomorrow. He also said, Abner Suarez's outpouring conference, connecting both the Bethel with Daniel Newton and what's, what he's doing, what Abner's bringing, that outpouring conference the end of August. Then in September, we've been praying into this. This will be the first time, Neil, Blake, wave at me, Neil. Neil is an amazing character. <laughs> <laughs> that guy, his, the way he's gone and taken the tent, I remember, we've taken the, he's taken the tent, his 5,000-person tent. Bought 500 person tents. He's in the process of buying a new 500 person tent. We're going to set it up here soon in September. But he felt that this was the first time the Lord gave him the go ahead to place a revival tent. We're going to call it the Tent of Meeting, which I think is an awesome uh, description of the Tent of Meeting, where Moses, remember, even uh, Joshua would stay in the Tent of Meeting, right? The Tabernacle of David. Anyway, I remember Neil saying, we, you know, we're, we're going to take a team to Israel. We're going we're to go worship on the Mount of Olives. He said, I'd like you to help me and support me. Send a worship team. I said, Neil, that's a good way to get killed. <laughs> you know, the Mount of Olives is controlled by the Muslim families. The King of Jordan owns the, the hotel right nearby there. And I was like, we'll pray. We did. And, of course, the rest is history. There was only one event um, when... Was it five $50,000 checks came in anonymously? Four? Seven. When you say, yeah, I got to raise, I think it was a million dollars. I said, wow, Neil. yeah, That is talk about outside your comfort zone. But when seven $50,000 checks came in anonymously, many of them, God told me. I mean, wow, right? And it was a half a million for security? So Okay. I exaggerated. 130000 for security. The only thing that ever happened was this one Molotov cocktail got thrown through the back of the tent that is still there as a memorial. It's got a whole burn hole. we like, yeah, that's where God showed up and saved us. The angels descend. Yeah. Anyway, so we're, we're really excited. That all leads into September. We're going to be setting the tent up here during Tabernacles. We're going to leave it up until the Lord says, take it down. Um, so, that's September 21st through 29th, 24-7, worship, connection. Um, we've been speaking to those who are in Israel. We've invited them. We've invited others. Sarah's helping to put together. My daughter, Sarah's helping to coordinate some of the bands. And so We're flying by the seat of our pants, so pray for us on this one, right? Then uh, in October, the voice of the apostles, I think we're going to live stream that uh, here. And, um, but also, John and Carol Arnott, who introduced, they were the pastors at the airport vineyard when Randy Clark went there in an unsuspecting way in 1994, and then 10 years later, 4 million people, the Heidi Bakers, the Bill Johnsons, they were the ones impacted, the Leif Hetlands. So, God poured out, and so, they called up and said, we'd like to come to your church. So, they're going to be here. On a Friday night, um, they're part of Catch the Fire. I've heard John and Carol speak. The impartation of the Holy Spirit is just powerful. Then November 1920 and 21, Brian Starley and William Wood from Global Awakening, they've been here individually with their wives. They said, we want to come together and said, we would love to be in a tent. So, hey, and then of course, Thanksgiving, Fort Caswell, men's retreat, Christmas Eve, New Year's Eve, One Night for the King. Man, it's just like, come on, Jesus. So, get excited. Pray into it for protection, covering, provision. Uh, we've invited people that right now the Lord's going to have to provide. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. He always does. Okay. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just come before you. We thank you for the privilege of being the bride. Lord, make us aware of the bridegroom's presence, the father's plan to have an amazing party for his son. Blessed are he who's invited to the marriage feast of the Lamb, and the bride has made herself ready. Lord, I ask for preparation. Lord, we just stay in that humble place. We know it's really all about you. As Brenton was saying, it's that place where we're stretched, it's beyond what we're capable of doing. Then we know, Jesus, you're in the midst of it. And you, ultimately, it's about family and healings and salvation, and that you become famous. We want you to become famous in Wilmington, southeastern North Carolina. We want you to be famous, Lord. And we want you to receive the glory that you so rightly deserve. And we just want to be part of that, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you don't have a handout, you'll need one. Um, This is part three. (laughs) I thought I'd get done in two weeks, um, but we're actually part three, and I'm praying I'm going to get finished today. Uh, Let me just kind of… I know that some of you may be just listening online, or this is your first Sunday in in all three series, so let me try to bring us quickly, but I'd encourage you to go online. Daniel does such a great job putting this all together, so you can listen online to the testimonies and to what we have loaded. Um, This series started with Pastor Bishop sharing three some odd weeks ago. His titled message was, Approaching God as a Righteous Judge, out of Luke chapter 18, where, remember, the unrighteous judge is bothered by the woman continually, and he says, she's wearing me out. And so, we know that God is a righteous judge, and when you look at that whole sermon and what was introduced there, it's really looking at spiritual legalities. What allows Satan to do what he does, right? We know from the job description is really the job description of Jesus and Satan are in John chapter 10 verse 10. Jesus said, the the devil has come to steal, kill, and destroy. That's why he came, right? But I have come, Jesus said, to give life in all of its abundance, its fullness. And so, really there's Looking for what what would be the legalities of the enemy stealing, killing and destroying? And what is the legalities of the children of God? What are the privileges of being the king's kids that comes under that protection? Be nice to know what those are, right? We know righteousness, Corinthians tells us righteousness is a weapon, both for offense and defense. And so, we know that those who live, Psalm 91, we have declared this during this whole pandemic and on. And when I've been in places where the devils tried to kill our team, warlocks come after us, we're threatened. We stand under Psalm 91, those who dwell in the safety of the Most High God, in the shadow, and the sheltered place, right? We come under that covering, those who declare that you are the Lord that the angels go before us, they spring the snare of the fowler. You may see many dying left and right. None of these evils shall befall you. None of these evils shall come upon your dwelling place. Well, there's something about the shadow of God, the, under the sheltered place. You're really close. When you're in, look at my shadow, you got to be pretty close. So those who are close to God are in a sheltered place. So there's something about this legality. It would be really good to know what those are. So, we've kind of looked at the authority of Christ, and I've been digging into the last two weeks our positional authority with Christ. Well, that's why I titled it, Seated with Christ in the Heavenly Realms. And I asked you the question, do you know where you're seated? Well, I'm here on earth, yeah, but there's a spiritual reality that you are, this is past tense, right, in Ephesians, you are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms, so knowing that positionally is one thing to to read it it's another thing to know it and operate in it right and there was the introduction of the court of heavens we dug into that last week also as well In Daniel chapter 7 verses 9 and 10 this is a wonderful scripture it says the ancient of days God sat down to judge and the court of heaven began its session and the books, plural, were opened. We unpacked this whole thing. What are the books? Be nice to know how you're going to… St- Do you realize you have a court date, right? Hebrews tells us in, verse, in chapter 9, it is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. So, you have a court date, and you can't miss your court date, right? And so, in that court date, it really would be great to have the best lawyer ever, Jesus. Right? It would be really good. And to have the blood of Jesus as your reason for why you stand there now completely innocent. He says, I choose to forget their sins. I remember their sins no more. I separate their sin as far as the east is from the west. Though they be scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. I mean, these are the mysterious things. How does the blood of Jesus, how does an all-powerful God, He can't even remember your sin. That is mysterious. But the royal blood of Jesus is so powerful and what He paid for, so when He stands there and Jesus, it would be best to just say, don't even talk at all. Let Jesus, not guilty, not guilty, not guilty, paid, paid, paid. It's all paid, right? No wonder it's like, Jesus. Hmm. Revelation 20 verse 12 says this, at the judgment before God's throne, the books, plural, were opened, including the book of life, and the dead were judged according to what they had done as was recorded in the books. We looked at Malachi 3.16, the book of remembrance that will be opened. Those who love to talk about God, in Malachi 3.16 it says, there's this scroll in heaven. You realize you have a resume, right? There is a resume in heaven that declares your works. It declares every idle word. You'll be judged for every careless, idle word. The works. I believe there's a financial record. They're going to pull up the books of works. Let's go look at your finances. Did you steal the tithes and offerings because the tithe is not yours? It's been entrusted to you. But Malachi 3.10 says this whole nation's under a curse. What does that curse look like? Is it just now? Wow, I, I'm telling you. That, so, when we, we ought to get really serious. And it says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. So, the books get opened. And it says that He shall judge us. But first, He looks at the book of life. And those that were not written in the Lamb's book of life, whew, they go into eternal punishment, the fire that never ceases. And there are a lot of cults and twisted teachings now that there is no hell. God would never send. He's so too loving. He'd never send anybody there. Well, then why did Jesus talk so clearly about it? Right? What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his very soul? Store up your treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot corrupt. Where's your treasure? Where, where, where are you? In, where's your 401k? In the heavens. Hello? Right? That would be we were so I gotta have enough money to survive until I uh, you ought to be worrying about your eternity. Hello? Okay. I'm messing, but I'm not. Um, we know in 1 Corinthians 3:13, when we look at scriptures and the books that are being kept, the book of works, the book of words, it says in 1 Corinthians 3:13 that on that day of judgment, there'll be a fire test. He's going to take all of your works, put them in a big pile, and get the blowtorch from heaven. All the stuff that was wood, hay, and stubble is gone. The wrong motives, the things you did and I did that were self-centered, self-focused, all about me, it's all about me. No it's not. And so, he's going to burn all that up, and that which remains, right, is going to be that which will stand. It'll be the gold. So then, last week, we started down this really hard to tackle some of these thorny, difficult questions surrounding the spiritual legalities of suffering. Why suffering? And we stepped back, and I said, let's, let's make this the main thing the main thing. What's it all about? Remember? Did anybody find out who Alfie is? What's it all about, Alfie? I looked up, tried to find. I asked Siri, "Who the heck is Alfie?" Anyway, I don't know. But the main point is, what's it all about? And I told you, it's all. My wife is like, "Oh my gosh!" <laughs> I know. I she has to put up with me. This things. Oh wow. Anyway. I have a different kind of a brain. (laughs) So, when you think about what's the main thing, the main thing is about family. He's always been about, he's going to have a family, right? Let us, Genesis, let us, who's the us? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let us make man in his image, in their image. And he goes on, he goes, because he's the God of love, he wants to express love. It's, I don't believe God has needs, but He certainly has wants. If you're, if you're all essence of love, you want to love something, right? And so, we know what happens. The devil comes in the process, and he's been kicked out of heaven. Revelation 12, he was thrown out of heaven, the war in heaven. That's the good news, the bad news. He came to earth, and then it goes on in the bottom of that last chapter of Revelation 12. He makes war against the saints, all those who hold the testimony of Jesus, So, he's declared war. If you don't think you're at war, uh, hello, (laughs) right? And as soon as you start walking with the Lord or start doing stuff for the Lord, get ready, buckle up, get your armor on (laughs) because it's a common, right? But ultimately, what he wants to do is he's going to use this this pawn, Satan, to fire test a lot of what's happening because he says that He began this work in us, right? Philippians 1.6, it says, He began a work in us, so that which He began when I was here, He's working, even though I don't see Him working, and He's working, He's the miracle worker, and I'm not arrived, because Paul says, even I haven't arrived, but I press on to the high call of God. So, uh, He's working in us, but He's using all of the circumstances of life, He's using the, the, uh, the conditions and all, to find out, where's my family? It's one thing, I like what Brenton said, it's one thing to say I surrender, it's another thing, show me. If you're from Missouri, show me, right? And so, this is that place where God wants us to understand that He's about family, and He will use the circumstances to validate your faith. I'm going to prove it to you through Scripture, okay. So, but I wanted to tackle, it's one thing, because we're a body of believers, We stand, we believe for healing, we've seen miraculous things occur, but there are things, what happens when the mountain doesn't move? Right? Right? He tells us in Mark 11, pray believing, forgive, command the mountain to move. It'll go into the sea. What happens when your prayers don't seem to get answered? I believe that's part of the fire test. So we know Satan comes and he always tries to undermine God's integrity. Ready? Say in, this, in Genesis, right? Did God really say? And then he lies. You surely won't die. He he knows that you'll become like God. There's the prideful arrogance of this created being who always lies and undermines the goodness of God. And the question I believe for us as the family that's in this journey, Jesus says, when I return, this is in Luke 18, verse 8, when I return, will I find faith in the earth? Remember he said in 1 Corinthians, faith, hope, and love and the greatest of these is love. They remain. And so, we are on this journey. Satan is about undermining all of that God is doing. So, I want us to believe as evangelical Christians, we believe that God does all the miraculous in His sovereignty. I love this. This morning, I was talking to Mary Esther and Ron. Ron puts out a blast every morning. 7 o'clock, I can set my watch. I hear the ding. Oh, that's Ron. All right? I've done it for years. And it just so happens in the chronological… I thought he had to pick this out, knowing I was going to preach something. No, The Holy Ghost did this, because this is sequentially. Right, Ron? This, so, let me… This so captures from Bill and Benny Johnson what I, what I was trying to say this morning. Just listen. You know the verse in Romans 8.28, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, and to those who are called according to His purpose. The hardest, this is the thoughts, the hardest part of living in a miracle culture is waiting for the miracle. I get an amen on that. The battle is in the mind. It can get pretty intense, especially when the miracle doesn't come quickly or not at all. I have friends, Bill says, that have suffered greatly in the gospel, beaten, shot, imprisoned, criticized, betrayed, and more. But before any of these things happened at that level, they experienced an extremely powerful baptism in the Holy Spirit. They have said that without that encounter with God, they would have quit and probably lost heart. The baptism is for the purpose of power, miracle power, but sometimes that power is for the miracle of endurance. There are miracles that I am still waiting for, Bill says. I don't understand why they haven't happened yet but I give up my right to understand. I trust you and your timing completely. Many will get introspective, self-condemning, or there's a lack of breakthrough, but the power is also needed for the endurance. The manifestation of power upon the apostles was certainly for miracles, but perhaps what should stand out the most is their God-given ability to endure hardship without blaming God, without blaming themselves, without blaming other people. This, in some ways, might be the greatest miracle. The promise given to us in Romans 8.28 wouldn't even be necessary if everything always worked out as we expected. The Holy Spirit would say, I know it is uncomfortable, but so much glory is being built in you during the waiting. Deep down in history together, let your trust in me build an even stronger foundation, I see the cry of your heart. Man, that was perfect is what the Lord was trying to express this morning. So, let's pick up. We did a lot, but turn in your outline to page two, and let's look at number eight, the mystery of the tension in Scripture. And I introduced this last week, and we want to dig in it deeper this morning. Turn with me, if you will, to John 9, 3. I covered this, but I want to I hit it again. In John chapter 9 and verse 3, Jesus ha- heals a man that's born blind. John 9, verse 1, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Good question, right? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. We must quickly carry out the tasks assigned us by the one who sent us. Now, when you see someone who's disabled, someone who has a deformity, or my brother Jeff, who had Down syndrome, you can ask a lot of questions, especially in the suffering of that. The rejection, the fights, the people calling him retard. Um, You can ask, why, why, why God, right? And this Scripture says, what about for the glory of God? And we're going to get into it, but His ways are not ours, right? His, highs, his ways are higher than ours. His ways are beyond finding out. And so, part of this, if you don't take anything from the last, if you can center yourself on the fact that God is always good, yes. He can be trusted. He's always good, even when it doesn't look good, right? And so, my thoughts were, what? I don't know what it was like, but they're walking along and they, this blind young man from birth, Jesus heals him. How many people witnessed that glory of God? Are they alive in eternity now because of what happened there? Just a thought. Um, What if it was your child that got saved as a result of the miracle? And does God have all eternity to make up any... Things that look unjust, even though he's the just God. Like I said, we look like this, and God says, my ways are so… You have no clue. Man, you can't even imagine what I do, right? We're going to get there in Romans in a minute. Okay, moving right along. Let's, let's tackle this one. I've had a lot of debates with family on this one. Turn to Job. We started this last week. Uh, in Job, did I stir it up? Yeah. And man, the commentaries are all over the place on this one, right? Let me summarize, because we, you were supposed to have read it for your homework, and you can read it again. We, we covered last week. Job, you know, he was in verse 1 of chapter 1. It says that a man of complete integrity, King James says, perfect and upright, the one who feared God and eschewed evil, feared God and he stayed away from evil. Man, and then he had all this stuff, Right? Seven thousand sheep, three thousand camels, five hundred teams of oxen, five hundred female dun- The guy was rich, right? In the entire area, he had ten sons. Uh, sorry, he had seven sons and three daughters, I believe it is. And he says his sons would take turns preparing feasts in their home and invite three sisters to celebrate. After several days, so they were party animals, right? His, if you see that again, they were they were the partying type, right? And. It's one thing for a dad to be worried about it, but look at verse, uh, let's see here, verse five. It says, "He after they party, he then goes and does sacrifices for them, and this is a quote, perhaps my children have sinned and have cursed God in their hearts. How come Job wasn't invited to the party? Just a thought. Um, okay, so... And to think that your children might curse God, like, so let me, says in verse 6, one day the members of the heavenly court came to present themselves before the Lord, and the accuser Satan came with them, where have you come from? He said, I've been patrolling the earth, watching everything that's going on. Note to self. Then the Lord asked Satan, have you noticed my servant Job? And that's the one that's like, man, God. Why would you call attention to that? He's the finest man in all the earth. He's blameless, a man of complete integrity, and he stays away from evil. Yeah. Verse 9, here we go, the accuser. Yeah, but Job has good reason to fear God. You always put a wall of protection around him, note to self, and him and his home and his property. In other words, Satan has tried. He can't touch him, Right. You've made him prosper in everything he does. Look how rich he is. But you reach out and take away everything he has. He'll curse your face. All right. You may test him. (gasps) Does that... That ought to make you a little like, God, I I don't like these kind of bets. These are not... These are not... That's... That... Whoa. What if... God is judging Satan to prove there are created beings just like you, Satan, in the lower than you, these men and women who love me so much that I'll use them and their love. They'll never turn against me, and they'll be part of your judgment. That's why in Revelation, when he put in the barbecue pit, he says, we will see him. We're going to be there. Yeah, get them. <laughs> Hallelujah. Tie them up. Get them down there and lock them down. Just, just a thought. Okay. It doesn't necessarily still make me feel that great. Okay. One day, verse 13, one day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting again at the oldest brother's house, a messenger arrived. And look at what happened. The oxen were plowing, the donkeys are feeding beside, them, and these raiders came. They stole all the animals and killed the farmhands. That's one report. Right after that, another report. There was a a fire of God that had fallen from heaven. A fire of God that had fallen from heaven that burned up your sheep and all the shepherds, and I'm the only one who escaped. As he's speaking, a third one shows up. The bands of Chaldean raiders stole your camels, killed your servants. I'm the only one who got away. Verse 18, while he was speaking, this is a really bad day. While he's speaking, another messenger came. While they were feasting in the oldest brother's home, suddenly a powerful wind from the wilderness hit the house. Sounds like a tornado. The house collapsed. All your children are dead. Job stood, rips his robe, shaves his head, falls to the ground, and worships God. I came naked from my mother's womb, and naked I will leave. The Lord has given what I had, and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin by blaming God. Whew. I don't know about you. All right, verse 1 of chapter 2. On the day the heavenly court comes again in meeting, and the accuser comes forward. And where you been? Patrolling the earth. And then the Lord says to Satan, have you noticed my servant Job? Of course you noticed him. A man of complete integrity who fears God and stays away from evil he's maintained his integrity even though you urged me to harm him without cause Whew. Satan replies yeah but skin for skin a man'll give up everything if you to save his life reach out take away his health he'll surely curse you to your face All right do with him as you please. Yipes. But spare his life. There's a limit to what you can do. So he struck Job with these terrible boils from head to foot. Job scraped his skin with pieces of broken pottery, sat among the ashes. Verse 9, his wife said to him, Are you still trying to maintain your integrity? Curse God and die. Wow. Wow. Job replied, you foolish woman, should we accept only the good things from the hand of God and never anything bad? So, in all this, Job did nothing wrong. Wow. And you know, the next 42 chapters total, right? His friends come, and you got to figure out… Obviously, Job, you must have sinned. There's something there. You got an open door. They go, You know, on and on it goes, and all this debates, and… and There is an interesting verse in 3.25 that I want us to look at. Job says this, chapter 3, verse 25, what I have always feared has happened to me, and what I dreaded has come true. King James says it this way, for the thing that I greatly, this is greatly feared, has come upon me, and that which I was afraid of has come unto me. My family and I have been debating this and like, wow, what about all this? And my son-in-law, Juan, sent this to me yesterday, and I just thought it was interesting. I like it. We've been kind of debating, you know, ultimately this is going to be, are you going to trust God or not? Are you going to stay in the recognition that He's good even when it does not look like this is just? He's still just quote, I think Job's thought, uh, his thought of being both righteous and blameless would be a shield for him in his suffering. And although he was those things, this may have been God saying to us, it's not enough. It's one thing to be righteous and blameless, but what if you've got fear? He goes on to say, God is maybe less interested in the perfection and the good works But the trust in him, maybe Job feared something more than he feared God, which then that dreaded disaster, you know, the devil can smell fear. Remember what we know from 1 Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians 1, 7, God has not given us a spirit of fear, power, love, and a sound mind. So, if God didn't give you fear, you know who did. Now, there's godly fear, right? The hurricanes come and make preparation, get your batteries locked down. But then there's this other stuff. Maybe God really doesn't love me fully. Maybe He'll punish me. Maybe, maybe He's really not good, or maybe He really is not a just God. Come on. Honestly, you, you need to pay attention to the voice that's back there at times, because I believe if we can just get to the place that no matter what happens, He's good. I can't explain it to you. I don't understand it, but I'm telling you right now, my God is good. That settles it. The devil's bad, God's good. Period. I believe ultimately that's the greatest of faith. So back to the outline. Job's troubles and trials, they can be unsettling if one distrusts God's goodness and his sovereignty. Job's children, did they have open doors? Maybe. Did Job's fear and of dread potentially open a door? Maybe. But the test of Job, how about his wife and his friends? You ever been in a place where things aren't going well and the church is your worst enemy? <laughs> Amen. Amen. Been there. Amen. Hello. They call that the dark night of the soul. It's almost like I'm all alone and where are you, God? <laughs> and it's in that place where you've got to encourage yourself in the Lord like David did, right? And David's mighty men wanted to stone him. David encouraged himself in the Lord. We need to proclaim his sovereignty. If you look at number 9 in his goodness and his sovereignty, the wisdom that is beyond finding out. Turn with me to Romans 11. This is such a powerful scripture. I would highlight it in your Bible. I got it underlined. Romans 11 in verse 33. Let me read the King James. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and ways past finding out. New Living says it this way, Oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and the knowledge. How impossible it is for us to understand His decisions and His ways. The unsearchable riches that Ephesians talks about we need to proclaim this sovereignty i love that in number 10 psalm 171 david king david says O sovereign lord i will tell everyone you are just god trust his goodness i just listed just a few there in number 11 about how good says god is good god is good god is good now you're familiar with the scripture but let's turn there anyway in isaiah 55 I quoted it earlier, where Isaiah 55, and let's begin in verse 8. For my thoughts, Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, say the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For the rain comes down, the snow from heaven returns not hither, but water, it waters the earth and brings forth the bud, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So, my word goes forth out of my mouth. So, again, it just confirms what that is. And it, this trying of our faith, number 12, this is so precious. You know, Peter, just before he's martyred, let's look at that one. First Peter chapter 1 in verse 7. Peter now, the, he's learned some things. <laughs> Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? You know I do, Lord. You know everything. Well, now, 30 years later, about ready to be crucified upside down. Just before that, he writes First and 2 Peter. And he says in verse 7, let's begin in verse 6. 1 Peter 1:6. So be truly glad... There is a wonderful joy ahead. Even though you may have to endure many trials for a little while, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. It's being tested as fire tests, and it purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than gold, so when your faith remains strong through these many trials... It will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. You love Him even though you've never seen Him. Though you do not see Him now, you trust Him and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting Him will be the salvation of your souls. What insight? This fire test, this trial where you refuse to give in to the oh, woe is me. God can't be trusted. Where are you, God? Now, you may go through that. Don't let condemnation come on you. When you go through that, David cried out in the Psalms, where are you, God? Punish my enemy. Yeah, but he got to the place where God says he's a man after my heart. Trust God when it defies reasoning I shared that out of 13, 1 Corinthians 13, 13. A lot of 13s there. Faith, hope, and love will last forever. The greatest of these is love. Number 14, trust even when it defiles your reasoning. This scripture out of Job 13, 15, after he suffered all this stuff, and he's still in the battle of how long it took in the boils and the sickness and the loss and the grief, and he says in Job 13, 15, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Though God kill me, I still trust him. Holy man. Man. You know that's got to mess with Satan. There's no more discussion of him coming to the court of heaven and saying, so, so. Satan was already judged. You blew it, you gave it up. Your pride, your arrogance, you led a rebellion. Look at this man. I didn't even do that to you. You had all the cherub worship and everything, and you tried to undermine the authority of the king of kings. I just want to show you, Satan, there are people who love me that will never deny me. You know, there's nothing that can shake the faith of someone grounded in the goodness. You may go through the fire test. My wife and I certainly feel like we have. But this place of, Lord, I don't have to understand it all. I just have to know you're good. So I have a question that these are questions that many have asked. Is all those questions at the bottom, A through F, is all suffering the result of sin? Then whose sin? We've already tackled this out of Luke chapter 13, right? But let me ask this. How about the the, uh, towers that just fell down in Dade County? Ninety-eight people died. Twelve-story building in the middle of the night collapses. All sorts of things going on. Well, was well, somebody paid off? They're investigating that. They had reports of the foundations crumbling that weren't dealt with. It might have been a $12 million bill to fix it that wasn't fixed. And so, was that greed? Was that somebody's sin? Maybe. Get, it'll get sorted out. But Jesus uses that same example. Remember when He talks about the Tower of Siloam? Remember when he said that the tower collapsed? Let's look at Luke 13 for a minute. In Luke 13, verse 1, the title of this, Jesus is saying, y'all need to repent, repent. You don't know what, how many days you got. Repent, repent, repent. He says about this, and he asks an interesting question. About the time he was informed that Pilate had murdered some people from Galilee as they were offering temples, sacrifices in the temple. So, they're killed by Herod while they're in church. And Jesus asked them an interesting question. Do you think these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other people of Galilee? In other words, do they have open doors? Jesus answers, he says, why did they suffer? He says, not at all. Wow. Wow. And you will perish unless you repent of your sins and turn to God. And what about the 18 people who died in the Tower of Siloam when it fell on them? Were they worse sinners in Jerusalem? No. I tell you again, unless you repent. What's the point? Stuff happens. (laughs) Right? Repentance, being with Jesus, ensures the result. And what he's saying is, he didn't even answer why it happened. He doesn't dive into that. Sins in the earth, there's all sorts of evil, and stuff is happening. Now, as believers, B, as authority of believers, are there limits to your authority? This is that whole question of faith and believing and legal rights, and and there's tension in Scripture. How about this? That Scripture in Daniel where it says when the Antichrist comes on the scene, he's going to give power to wear out the saints, I don't like that scripture either. There are seasons where God is going to walk through. The, there's a time He's given dominion. He told us, Take dominion. I've given you the earth, right? Take the dominion. Operate in it. Operate in the kingdom. Pray for the sick. Lay hands on them. Heal. But there's a time coming where God's going to fulfill His promises. And the authority of the believer at that point looks like he'll still have his covering. He'll, you're either going to go through the fire, around the fire, right? It's, he's going to be the man in the fire with us, right? So, that's the main part of this. Trust God, be in it. Trust Him no matter what's going on, even when it look. And the reason I believe this word is coming for now, because it's going to get really, really dicey. And there's a reason you're alive now in this season and the things that are starting to develop and develop in the world. We believe it's real close. (laughs) So being in that place of understanding the goodness of God regardless of what I see is critical to where we are. The end times, D, will be... You know, let me go to C. There are storms that you can't rebuke. You know, Job could have stand on there and rebuked that fire, and guess what? It would not have worked. There are storms you can rebuke, and the Lord will tell you when they are, if it's a satanic storm that is an authorized, But in the midst of all of it, we still stand, we believe, we believe our authority, we ask God for the wisdom of it. Is this a storm we fight against and stand, or is this a storm we endure? He said He would tell us, Right? My sheep hear my voice. But in the end times, God is going to rule sovereignly. What about Paul's thorn in the flesh? There's other questions, right? Remember we shared out of 2 Corinthians 12, he went into the third heaven, right? That whole thing about, he went there, I saw things I can't utter, and if I could, I wouldn't be allowed to tell you anyway. And then he goes, my thorn in the flesh, I prayed three times. Here's a guy who raised the dead, prayed for the sick. His handkerchiefs caused demons to scream and leave. And yet, how about the people on his mission team? I left it there in 2 Timothy 4.20, number four, uh, E there. It says, Paul's thorn in the flesh. It says he left Trophimus, part of his mission team, sick in Miletus. Well, why couldn't Paul heal Miletus? So, he go on. This journey of faith is really a fire-tested faith. And I believe some of the greatest rewards are the ones of those who have been tested by this fire and they refuse to capitulate that God is not good. So we, we just got to settle this in our hearts and, and these are lots of questions and it doesn't stop us from pressing on, laying hands on, believing, seeing the miracles. But realize God is the all-powerful and there's inconsistencies and there's questions Turn to the conclusions. Faith that is tested by fire is very precious and will bring much praise and glory and honor. I can just see God at that day, when you stand before Him, it's like, oh, there they are. There's that one. Come, thou good and faithful servant, inherit the kingdom. Well, in the midst, stay seated. Realize you're already seated with Christ. Number three, in all the struggles, keep your seat, right? Recognize, I'm seated up here. The devil's down here. He's not in the paradise area. He's not in the third heavens. Even though I'm here and there, both as a triune being as well, I'm seated already. And exercise your dominion. Exercise your authority. But recognize God's sovereign. He's a sovereign good God search for the wisdom. Put the stuff that keeps battling against you. Put all that earthly stuff that lurks within you, Colossians 3. So, I wanted to finish today with us going out in communion. So, if we could bring the table over. So, I was praying about communion this morning, and we're going to we're going to take it together. We're actually, I'm gonna have you come from these two sides and these two sides, form two lines, and when I tell you to get up, and we'll come together so we can serve out of two plates and two chalices at the same time. But we've been passing out the cups, but I just said, you know what, we're gonna do family different this time. All right. Colossians 1:22 says this. Now he, God has reconciled you to Himself through the death of Christ in His physical body. And as a result, He has brought you into His own presence. Just camp on that for a minute. The blood of Jesus reconciles, makes right. In that physical death that He paid, you can come into His own presence, and you're holy, and you're blameless as you stand before him without a single fault this blood this sacrifice jude 124 says this now all glory to god who's able to keep you from falling away and he will bring you with great joy into his glorious presence without a single fault wow God, um, are you seeing everything I do and think? And you, without a single fault because of the blood. Because of, see, it's not about your works, even though you'll be judged for your works. James says, show me your faith by it, <laughs> but it's by grace you've been saved through faith in Christ. One more verse, well, two. Second Corinthians 5.21, for God made Christ who never sinned to be an offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. And if we will confess our sins to Him, He's faithful to forgive you from all unrighteousness. So let's just close our eyes because Paul tells us he got this directly from the Lord in 1 Corinthians 11. He said that it's good that you judge yourself that you be not judged. So, Lord, I ask you, Holy Spirit, to reveal an area, anything that is not pleasing to you, and just ask the Lord in 1 John 1, 9, if you confess your sin, He's faithful to forgive you from all unrighteousness. On the night of his betrayal, we know that the level of torment in the garden was almost beyond what humans can endure. Said he he sweat blood. And he knew that was coming, what he had been sent to do. He washed the feet of his betrayer took communion with his betrayer, and the power of this covenant that Hebrews says is a more excellent covenant, the blood of the shed Son of God. He took the bread and he broke it, he said, this is my body. They had no idea what was going to be broken, even within a few hours. So afraid, they all denied him. Only one disciple appears to be at the cross, John, with Mary, his mother. All the others had run off, denied him, hiding. They didn't understand how the broken body would make a way. By his stripes, we were healed. And the blood that would be shed, that poured down, even the Roman soldier who watched three hours of darkness in the middle of the day. Surely this was the Son of God. And the grave couldn't hold Him. And He's alive. He's not on a cross anymore. He's alive and He dwells in us. The power of the blood, the power of this sacrifice, this is the meal that heals us. We don't want to ever take it lightly. If you're not a believer, please don't take communion. It could hurt you. Look at 1 Corinthians 11. If you are a believer, the table's wide open. So, Lord, I thank you that on the night of betrayal, you took the bread and you broke it, and you said, now take and eat this. Become one with me. Then he took the cup. He said, now, this is my blood, and I will seal the covenant for you and all those who believe me. Communion table is open. If you'll form two lines, come and if you have any physical uh, trouble, just come to the to the back of the table and help yourself. Want to invite you, men? Don't forget Kingdom men tomorrow night at seven. Kingdom women tomorrow night at seven as well. Pray for us on the fishing trip Friday. No seasickness. Lots of big fish. Pray that your pastor catches the biggest one. Is that is that okay? (laughs) Yeah, hallelujah. Lord, no pride, just, you know, anyway. You have not because you ask not. I think there's 34, maybe 35 of us going, so praise the Lord. We're going out 30-something miles, 50 miles. Lord, keep the weather good, Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you, and I bless you. I want to invite the ministry team to come forward here this morning. You know who you are. If you have any prayer needs that you want agreement with, it says if two or three would agree as touching it would be done for them. So we want to come into agreement. Those listening by live stream, we bless you as well. Don't forget Wednesday night, we'll be here on discipleship training. I want to give you just one more insight. Um, the five Wednesdays leading up to in the tent area, I'm going to be teaching on several, the, both the vision, our history, where we're going, where we've come from. So I want to invite you, especially if you're a newcomer, Many have asked me, well, how do I join the church? Um, just a handshake. I can't find anything in the Scripture that says i got to sign a letter and do all this stuff. I don't, it, you, it's really a heart deal, right? You, you join by your relationship and your support, and so uh, you just be part of the family. You need to know what, what body part you're in, right? First Corinthians 12 talks about God places you in the body, so if you're a hand, be a hand. If you're a leg, be a leg. Don't try to be a hand if you're a leg, right? So, anyway, that's my analogy of that. So, bless you, bless you, bless you. Thanks for being with us this morning.